Good to see everybody here tonight, and it's good to be in church, is it not? Amen. It is good. I like Wednesday night service. I like Sunday morning service. I like Sunday night service, and it's just good to be in the house of God. Brother Ron, it's good to see you. Is this your first time back since being in the hospital? So it's good to have Brother Ron Kearns back in service and uh, others that are back with us. And thank you for being here. It's good to see each and every person here today. Uh, I was thinking, I'm kind of at a disadvantage. One, everyone's got a mask on, and then two, I'm half blind and wear Coke bottle glasses, so I'm trying to see, but it, it looks to me like there is several people that, uh, um, and we won't point anybody out, but there's several people that have, have been visiting with us for over the last little while and everything, and I got to thinking about that uh, earlier today. As I said earlier, I went to a walking track and tried to walk a little bit, and I, if I'm not careful, I find myself, if someone's coming this way and I'm going that way, I mean, you would think they've got the bubonic plague or something, and I walk way around them and everything, and, if, if, and I'm thinking, if I'm not careful, I might be that way with people in general, and I think sometimes all this COVID COVID stuff, we've gotten scared or we've gotten timid to even talk to people. So I just, I just want to throw this out as a gentle reminder. Let's remember, um, you know, those that may be visiting with us. Let's remember those that are maybe a returning visitor and uh, maybe try to, I know we can't shake hands and all that, but we can still say hello and we can tell people, hey, thank you for visiting with us. Is this your first time? Maybe find out a little bit about them and just be real, real friendly. And uh, you, you never know how far that will go in just reaching out to somebody and welcoming them to the house of God. You just never know. I remember one time, uh, I guess it must have been right around seven years ago now or so, when my wife and I felt like we needed to move on, and then we ended up landing here. But prior to us coming here, we had gone and visited a church, and my wife will remember exactly which one it was and everything. And uh, it wasn't necessarily a church that we uh, agreed with their direction and everything, but we went to the service and uh, right after the service, somebody came up to us, and it was our very first time, and, you know, we were just quiet people just trying to go in and go to service and get a feel for the church. But I remember so vividly, uh, one, of the mem one of the people that were in leadership at the church there uh, came up to us and invited us out to eat right after our very first Sunday there, and we'll never forget that. Uh, we had a young one. I think Brooke was just a few months old, and you know how that is when you got a young one, and they're crying up a storm and you're worried about going out to eat and the, you know you, the baby's supposed to be taking a nap and then all it all breaks loose and you're like oh man I just wish I was home so we we, we kindly stepped out of that and went home but we talked about that and we've talked about that several times and that just went a long long way so I just want to encourage you uh, just keep an eye out for people that are visiting with us keep an eye out for people that are returning visitors and let's do our best just to try to make them feel welcome so will you help will you help us with that Amen, amen, all four of you. Good, good. Uh, but uh, let's try to work at that. And uh, so anyway, uh, but thank you for being here. Also, since this is the last service before Preacher gets back, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and take the liberty to go ahead and say this. Uh, Pastor Appreciation Month is coming up in October. And I'd encourage you, if you're able to, maybe write a, write a card as we announce it here coming up and uh, maybe drop a, a nice card in there. And uh, I know he likes McDonald's. I know, well, I just know he likes food in general. So McDonald's, I know Miss Sandy likes Starbucks. Miss Hannah, what else do they like? Um, but anyway, but just try to do something for them. And, uh, you know, our preacher, he loves this church. And just, he's been here for 24 years, I think it is, and just has served the Lord so faithfully. So let's, let's, take, let's take October and just be an extreme blessing to him. I wrote down a little statement. It says, encourage, 
your encourager. And I try to remember that as best I can, whether it's with uh, maybe my wife or with my children or, or, or with my pastor. You know, encourage your encourager. If you will encourage your encourager, they're going to turn around and encourage you even better. And so the Lord will bless us for that if we just honor the man of God. You know, really the Bible talks about honoring the man of God and he's worthy of double honor. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to all of a sudden, boom, giving him a big raise or any of that. That and uh, but you know because it, they're worthy of it. I mean the, the Bible says that one day a pastor will stand before God and give an account. That's found in Hebrews and uh, what a burden of that. So anyway, uh, we've said enough about that. But just try to keep that in mind. Proverbs chapter number twenty-four. Proverbs chapter number twenty-four is where we're going to be tonight, and that's on page six eighty-nine in your old Schofield Reference Bible is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to do. We're going to kind of pick up on our little study of Proverbs. And we're going to narrow it down to one subject tonight. And when I've got to get moving, it's already 732 and we need to be out of here by about 810 or so. So we need to get moving. But just by way of review, we talked about how Proverbs is a wonderful book of instruction. Uh, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And some have even recommended to take the book of Proverbs and there's 31 chapters and maybe read one chapter a day and just follow it through your calendar and read one chapter. So if today's the 23rd, so if you were on track, you would have read Proverbs 23, tomorrow Proverbs 24. When you get back to 31, well, September only has 30 days, but you would double up that day and then just read back at Proverbs chapter 1 when you get on October 1. So it's a good book. It's a book about instruction and who's the writer of Proverbs? Anybody remember that? Who is the writer of Proverbs? Can anybody tell me that? Solomon. Good, good. Who was the book written to? His son. And his son's name was? Rehoboam, good. So his son's name was Rehoboam. It's a letter written to his son. It's an instructional book telling Rehoboam how to live. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about some of the key words in the book of Proverbs. We broke it down into seven basic words. We looked at the first word was walk. And Solomon is writing to Rehoboam. And he says, hey, son, I want you to guard your walk. I want you to guard where you go. I want you to guard what you do and who you hang around. Psalm 1, 1, it says, blessed is the man. We don't have it up. Blessed is Psalm 1, 1. It says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So we're told to watch our walk. Word number two that we looked at a few weeks ago was the word wisdom. Proverbs emphasizes wisdom. We said wisdom is simply discernment. And we're actually going to talk much more about wisdom tonight here in just a little bit. But young people need wisdom. Middle-aged people need wisdom. Uh, older people need wisdom. We all need wisdom. Married couples need wisdom. Single adults need wisdom. Then we looked at word number three. Word number three was our words. We need to guard our mouth. May we guard what we say. I would encourage us husbands to guard what we say. I would encourage the wives to watch what you say. Sometimes our words can ignite a situation, maybe ignite a little bit of stress or ignite a little bit of tension in the home. Let's watch our words. Children, let's watch our words. I know the children in, are in master clubs, but maybe teenagers, let's watch our words. Let's watch what we say to mom and dad. Let's wa watch what we say to our teachers and let's, let's watch our words. How about employees or employees or coworkers? We all should watch our words. And word number four we looked at was women. And the Bible talks about staying away from the strange 
woman. And basically that's not strange as in she looks different or she looks strange, but really the definition of strange there is simply not belonging to you. And so the Bible warns us about that to stay away from strange women. Then word number five, the word wine we talked about and we looked at the consequences of it and how the Bible even tells us to not even to look upon wine. And so we talked about that. And then we looked at the word number six. We looked at the word wealth. And uh, we talked about how if you have too much business uh, to be in church regularly, you have too much business. And we use that illustration about J.C. Penney and how he had the 1,100 uh, stores, and yet he, he found time to be in the house of God. I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight because y'all are here on a Wednesday night and uh, you got away from work and many of you probably didn't get to go home. Maybe some of you didn't even get a meal, but you're here in the house of God, so uh, it's good to be in church. Word number seven, we looked at the word work. And then how the Bible talks about not being a sluggard. So that was all a few weeks ago. Then last week, we did that little Bible study on Solomon and how we said that inconsistency does not turn out or does not produce consistency. So as a parent, if you're inconsistent in your life and in your Christian life, most likely that is not going to turn out a child who is consistent in their Christian life. And do we not, as parents, want a child that turns out to be consistent in their life? You know, more importantly than how much or what my child does as far as a career, it's what my child will be. I want my child to be faithful to the work of God and to be faithful in serving him, whether it's in a full-time capacity or not. So inconsistency does not turn out consistency. And so we saw how Solomon, you know, there were some regulations for a king. Then we looked at the three regulations. One was you can't multiply horses. You can't get those horses out of Egypt. Then we looked at you can't multiply wives. Then we looked at you can't greatly multiply uh, silver and gold. And we saw where Solomon disobeyed and he rebelled against all three of those prohibitions and then we said you know our children are watching more of you than they are listening to you they're watching us and we talked about how sometimes it'd be good for a son or daughter to maybe walk in on their mom or dad maybe praying or maybe reading their bible or maybe just uh, meditating on the things of god it's good for our children to see things in us rather than us just always saying it. So the father, Solomon, he knew how to write it. I mean, he wrote Proverbs. And he said, hey, watch out for these things. But he didn't live what he actually wrote. And what an indictment, what a criticism of Solomon that is. May that not be our testimony that, hey, mom and dad, they sure know how to say it, but they really didn't live it. Boy, I don't want that to be said of me. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to narrow down on just one word. We're going to talk about this word wisdom. So every book, you take any book, every book is written for a purpose. You know, no author sits down and just decides, well, I'm just going to scribble a few words and hopefully it'll turn into 100, 200 pages and hopefully it'll, it'll become a New York Times bestseller or whatever. No author does that. There's a reason for the book. Have you ever gone to a bookstore? Maybe you've gone to Barnes and Noble or maybe you've gone up to Gullions or wherever and you, you grab a book and you think, wow, that's a neat looking cover. Let me, let me look into it and see. Maybe I might buy this book. Maybe I'll take it home and actually read it. What do you know? 
normally do. I know what I normally do. I'll flip it over and I'll look at the back side of it to see one, who's the author, maybe learn a little bit about the history of that author, maybe learn a little bit about the subject. And in just a moment's time, I'll decide on whether or not, whether or not I'm going to go on and buy that book and maybe take it home and actually read it or hope to read it. But uh, you know, sometimes books will uh, collect dust or whatever. But in just a moment time, you will decide whether or not you're going to read that book. The Bible was written for a purpose. What's the purpose of the word of God? Well, Romans 10 and verse number 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So uh, the purpose of the Bible is so we can know how to be saved. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we looked at seven words a few weeks ago, and we talked about how one of them was the word wisdom. We're going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at a life of wisdom. So we're going to read Proverbs 24 and verse 5 through 9. The Bible says, A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth openeth not his mouth in the gate. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. And then verse number 9, The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. And let's have a word of prayer. We'll get right into the message. Dear Lord, I pray that you would use me tonight just as a empty vessel. Lord, I pray that I would bring honor and glory to you tonight. Lord, help us as we look at this subject of a life of wisdom. God, may it be said when we are either raptured on out of here or when we go by way of the, the grave, Lord, that, that, that our life was a life of wisdom. Lord, help us to attain it. Help us to seek for it, to go after it, God. And I pray that you bless us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the, uh, there's a verse in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number nine, uh, 5 that says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. So we see an encouragement or an exhortation to walk in wisdom. Paul wrote the book of Colossae to the book of Colossians to the, the, the church at Colossae, and he gave them this admonition. He says, hey, I want you to, to redeem the time. And he was trying to get us to realize, that, hey, we are on this life for just a short amount of time. May we walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. The Bible tells us to number our days. We've got to keep in mind that, hey, we're only here for a short time. And so I want to speak tonight on three basic things about a life of wisdom and speak about the need for all of us to walk wisely. I'm speaking to, to a teenager. I'm speaking to a young person, speaking to a, a young adult, a married adult, a single adult, a middle-aged adult, an older adult. We all need to have wisdom. So we're going to look at number one. What do we see? We see the wise man's advantage. We see the wise man's advantage. The man that walks wisely will have an advantage. It's not an advantage to say that that it's not something that others can get, but the fact that if you're a wise man, you will have an advantage. You say, well, where is that found? We're going to look at it in just a minute. But you can be, you know, many of you could have been probably tonight 100 different other places. I mean, you could have been maybe at a softball game or maybe a baseball game. You could have been at home, maybe grabbing 
done a little bit of R&R or whatever, but you chose to be in church tonight. Why? Because probably because most of you have this sincere desire to try to get wisdom, to try to grow closer to the Lord and be around the things of God. Look at verse number five. It says, a wise man is strong. Now, it's not speaking about physical strength. It's not speaking about muscular strength, saying that a wise man is strong. Because trust me, I've seen some Christians, I've seen a lot of Christians that maybe are, are way about 100 pounds, and you would not consider that person to be strong. But a Christian, a wise person, can be strong. It's speaking about personal and social strength. I would say that that person will have the power of Influence. He or she is the person that has the personal strength or the influence that others will seek because of their wisdom. You know, that kind of power comes from the Word of God. It comes from experience. It comes from being faithful during the trials of life. And my, oh my, it's so neat to see a Christian that is, that even in our own church, a Christian that's been there for a long, long time. I can scan the auditorium and think of those that have been here for a long, long time and that I would consider a wise person, a wise man or a wise lady. Well, how have they done that? They've done that by just being faithful. They've done that by being around the Word of God. They've done that by just getting experience. They've done that by being faithful through the trials of life. They've become a wise person. You know, the wise man will be sought out for counsel. You know, and wise is the person that will go to a wise man for counsel. You know, one might say, well, you know, I don't have a sphere of influence. Oh, yes, just because you don't maybe get up and sing or maybe because you're not in the choir or maybe because you don't, you're, you don't preach or you don't teach. We all have a sphere of influence. You have an influence at work. You have an influence in your, with your spouse. You have an influence with your children. We all have a sphere of influence. It was said during the British, actually, there's, this is a true story, during the British coronation ceremony, when they crown a new king or queen, there's kind of tradition, and what they do, they take a Bible, and they present a Bible to the monarch, and here's what, the, there's, they, they put a little inscription on it, and here's what it says. They say, we present you with the Bible, the most valuable thing which this world affords, and then it says, here is wisdom, this is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. An oracle just means these are the lively, really just mouthpieces of God. So, you know, the British uh, folks, they had enough wisdom to say, hey, we want our king, we want our queen to be acquainted with the word of God. We, they, and they say that we present you with the Bible, the most valuable thing which this world affords. That's the Bible. And you know, wise is the person who says, hey, I'm going to be around the Word of God. I'm going to be around the Bible. You know, someone who has the strength of godly influence will have that attitude towards the Bible. They'll look at the Bible and they'll say, it's not just something that sits on my coffee table Monday through Saturday, but I'm going to be in the Word of God throughout the week and I'm going to read it and I'm going to study it. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to meditate upon it. I'm going to be around the Word of God. The Bible is the mouthpiece of God. You know, moms, that should be our prayer. Lord, help me to finish strong. Help me to be around the Word of God. Dads, that should be our prayer. Help me to be consistent that I might have the power 
of influence. We all have influence. So I would say under the wise man's advantage, we have the power of influence. Then next we have the power of ingenuity. It says a man of knowledge increaseth strength. It says in verse number five, uh, where is it at? Verse Yes, a wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. So we see where the, the man of knowledge will increase in strength. The man of wisdom will increase in strength. Increase here speaks of courage and bravery. The fact that that person can become, they can use the knowledge of God. It's an increasing Strength. That's how it's supposed to be in our Christian life. We're supposed to be increasing in wisdom, increasing in knowledge. Maybe you might say, well, Lord, help me to gain wisdom so that I might be able to encourage others along the way. You know, wise would be the person. May I look around, I see some new couples and new, new, new uh, parents. Wise would be the couple to grab somebody in our church who has raised godly children. Not that they're perfect or anything like that, but wise would be the young person to go to maybe a seasoned Christian who has raised good Christian children and say, hey, can I get with you sometime and pick your brain a little bit about maybe the subject of child rearing or can I, can I take you to Mayflower or we're going to go over to Coronet and eat? Can I just talk to you about that? Wise would be the person to see somebody who's served the Lord for 30 40 and maybe even 50 years we need to go to that person we need to increase knowledge we need to increase wisdom my time is flying by first chronicles 1232 it says and the children of Issachar which were men that had understanding of the times so these children of Issachar they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do the heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment so th apparently these children of Issachar they had special understanding they understood the times and they knew what they ought to do you know may we be people that understand the times and we know what to do. May we have that wisdom that we're speaking about. Charles Spurgeon, a evangelist way back in the 1800s, he said this about wisdom. He said, wisdom is the right of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. So if you just simply know, it's not to be wise. He said, many men know a great deal and are the greater fools for it. And then he goes on to say, there is no fool so great as a knowing fool but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Basically what he's saying, it's one thing to have wisdom. I mean, one thing to have knowledge, but are you using that knowledge in, in wisdom? Are you, are, are you full of discernment? You know, it's one thing to have book knowledge about something. I think of people, young people, and how they'll go off to college and they might learn a trade and they might learn some of the philosophy behind the trade. And in just two or four years, they get their degree and they think, man, I'm ready to go out in the workforce. And then boom, the workforce hits them right in the face and they think, man, I don't know near as much as I thought I did. You know, it's funny how when I went to Bible college, you know, they would teach courses on you know, church education and leadership and all these different things. And you, you think you know how to do it. And then you get out in the real world and you think, man, can I go back to college for another 10 years and learn even more? What, what is that? We need to take that knowledge and we need to be able to apply it with our life and apply it in our wisdom as we walk. So we need to know how to correctly use that knowledge. And that's called wisdom. We need to take that knowledge and apply it correctly. That's wisdom. You know, the wise man will have an advantage. He'll have influence. He'll increase his strength. 
You know, what does that sound a lot alike? It sounds to me a lot like the prayer of Jabez. You know, in 1 Chronicles 4.10, it says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. And if you'll remember months back, the preacher preached about this, enlarging your coast, enlarging your influence. And he used the analogy about Woodland Baptist Church and how we want our coast to be enlarged. We want uh, men to go out and preach and to pastor and to have more influence. And, and uh, we, we pray for that. Let's pray for that individually that, hey, Lord, would you increase my coast? Would you enlarge my coast? Would you enlarge my influence? So the wise man will have advantage. And then number two, we want to look at the wise wise man's actions. What does the wise man do to get wisdom? What does he do? How does the wise man get to the place where he enjoys those advantages? You know, it's only through time and experience and wisdom that you get to be somebody like, I think of like a brother John Moxley or maybe a brother Don Walker or others that have been here for years and years. And it's only through just living through experiences and walking with God that they become wise. And, and I would encourage you, get around men like that that have been around the things of God. You know, you think about a man or lady tonight, maybe in your mind's eye, think about maybe somebody in our auditorium, maybe they're in their 50s or 60s or even older and, and they've been around a lot, you know, and some people might think, well, why, does, why do people always go to those people? It might be because they know that they're wise people. How does that happen? Well, it's just going to happen because of several ways. One, it's going to happen because throughout their lifetime, I guarantee you, they consulted before making decisions. You know, before that particular person that is being sought for wisdom, they probably lived through some things. Maybe they did some things that maybe they're not real proud of, and they learned through experience, hey, that's not what I should be doing. And now that I've lived long enough, boy, if I could steer somebody away from that trial or away from that heartache, you know, so they would consult before decisions. Look at verse number 6. It says, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war so he's saying hey if you're going to go and make war i would definitely encourage you to go do it and do it with counsel before you ever get to the place where people would seek you we ourselves need to go to people for wisdom and humble ourselves so before making i would encourage young people encourage young adults before you ever make a major decision seek out some counsel. Maybe you're a young person and you, you've got a liking for a certain young lady or you've got a liking for a certain young man. I would encourage you, go to your mom or dad or go to a godly person in the church and I would beg you and plead you and go with an open mind and say, Mom, Dad, is there any reason why you think I shouldn't continue to date this person? Or if you're even further down in the road, say, is there any reason why you think I shouldn't marry this person? And I would go to them and seek that wisdom. Your mom and dad may see things that you don't see. Or maybe it might even happen you're a young adult, maybe you're married, you're seeking the Lord's wisdom about something. It would not hurt to go to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about this decision? I'm thinking about doing this what do you think? That's seeking wisdom, consulting before a decision. You know, if we're not careful, we become an island unto ourselves. You know, we come to church, we sing, we listen to preaching, we go home, and we never seek counsel. It's good to seek counsel. Wise would be the young person that would go to someone who has raised good godly children, say, how do you do it? How do you, what would you do about this situation? How would you handle that? You say, well, where is that found in the Bible? Look at Jeremiah 5. And verse number five, it says, I will get me unto the great men 
and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. You know, wise is the person that says, hey, I will get me unto the great men. I will, will seek knowledge. I'll seek wisdom. I was, I was uh, listening a while back to a preacher, and they were talking about how they had a certain idea on their mind. They wanted to do it. And what he, this particular preacher did was he called up another pastor in a distant state, and he said, hey, brother so-and-so, I'm thinking about doing this. And it wasn't a right or wrong thing. It was just a idea that he had about his church that he was pastoring. He said, but what do you think about this? And he goes on to tell the story and he says, in my mind, before I ever dialed that phone, I had it in my mind that if that fellow pastor told me that that was not a good, good idea, I was not going to do that. You know, that's a spirit of, hey, teach me, help me, let me gain some wisdom. And ended up being the pastor, the, the other pastor said, no, that sounds great. He ended up doing it. And till this day, it's a great success and going well and everything. But may we have that spirit of, hey, I'm going to get me unto the great man. I'm going to go to those that have been down the road. I'm going to seek wisdom. I'm not saying go to somebody maybe that uh, maybe doesn't even have children. You want to go to them about wisdom. Go to somebody with some experience. You know, wisdom is discernment. Wisdom and I thought this was a good statement. Wisdom is not simply telling the difference between right and wrong. It is telling the difference between right and almost right. Wisdom's not just saying, hey, this is right, this is wrong. Wisdom is talking to your young, maybe teenager or maybe your older teenager and saying, well, you know, Johnny, I know you're dating Susan and I just don't know if that's the best person for you. Wisdom is deciding between right and almost right. You know, we as Christians, we don't want just what's almost right for our life. I mean, I want what is right for my life. I don't want to miss the mark. I want to be dead on. I want God's will for my life. I don't want to miss it. And so that's wisdom. Wisdom is not simply telling the difference between right and wrong. It's telling the difference between right and almost right. You know, a young person might go to their mom or dad and say, what do you think about me marrying this person? You know, you would be very wise to go and ask, ask a godly counsel and ask questions and just pick somebody's brain. You know, the little decisions, quote unquote, the little decisions now can be major things down the road. I wonder how many uh, couples are out there that maybe had they gone to their mom or dad might have saved them from a divorce or maybe saved them from some heartache or different situations. I know we're, none of us are uh, immune to any trouble like that or anything, but maybe may we seek wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse number 18, every purpose is established by counsel. With good advice, make war. You know, when seeking counsel, I would encourage you, if you are self-willed or in the matter or you're just bent and I'm going to do what I feel is right, you can always find somebody that's going to agree with you. You can always go to find somebody that's going to agree with you. You know, I've heard of stories where certain people will go to a preacher and they'll say, I feel like this is the Lord's will for me to, to step out of the bonds of marriage and, and go and shack up with this person or end up divorcing this person, go live with this person. You know, you can always find somebody to agree with you at the workplace on something like that. Or you can always agree, find somebody that's going to go along with it and say, oh, well, you deserve better. You know, God's will is one man and one lady for life together. You work through it. You get through it. One would be very wise to seek out Bible-based counsel from godly people who are living out the Christian life. 
Not only does the wise person consult before decision, but they also, they consent after the counsel. So they take that counsel and then they run with it. The Bible says in verse number six, it says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors, what's those next three words? There is safety. Boy, I want to be in a safe place. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 and verse number 14, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, by way of illustration, I believe counsel is so very important. We've even seen it in our, on the national level. As you think about our president, I don't know how you were, but back in 2016 and when uh, President Trump would make, got the RNC nomination and all that, and uh, I knew a little bit about uh, uh, Mr. Trump and his background and maybe things that he was involved with and everything, and I just thought, wow, really? I thought, man, I wonder how this is going to turn. I was really kind of skeptical. But what really, really encouraged me and really just thought, man, maybe we're heading in the right direction, is who he chose as his running mate, Mike Pence. I went and found out a little bit about Mike Pence. He gives a clear testimony of being saved. I mean, he, he made no bones about it. I think it was on social media somewhere, and I saw it, and I listened to it. And I thought, man, not, he's saved. His wife works at a Christian school. I'm thinking, goodness gracious, how did Mr. Trump pick Mr. Pence? And I thought, boy, he's going to be around some good counsel. I mean, if your VP is saved and your wife, his wife works in a Christian school, I'm like, good night. Maybe we are going in the right direction. But I say all, to, all that to say this. He was surrounding himself with good counsel. May we do that. We've seen others that are around him that have counseled right. You know, not in a million years would I have imagined that, uh, I almost called him Pastor Trump, uh, <laughs> He's not our pastor. <laughs> He's our president, not our pastor. But uh, uh, not in a million years would I have imagined that President Trump, some people have labeled him as the most pro-life president that had, has ever lived. That's saying something. I mean, that's in the year 2020 that they've said that. And then who would have imagined that he would have been the first ones right out of the gate back in May to declare churches and places of worship essential? Man, I was glad for that. I thought, man, this is great. And I started saying, four more years, four more years. Am I not supposed to be saying that? Maybe not. But uh, too late now. It's the, 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 the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> but, uh, but he surrounded himself with wise people. When the Bible speaks of fools and folly, look what it says in verse number seven. It says, wisdom is too high for a fool. Now, many of us think of as a fool, as maybe somebody with a low IQ or maybe not quite right mentally. The Bible, when it speaks of a fool and folly, it's not referring to somebody with mental deficiency, but rather a moral perversity. It's not referring to somebody with a mental deficiency. When the Bible says a fool, like in Psalms where it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's speaking of somebody that has a moral perversity. A fool is not somebody with a low IQ, but rather a heart full of wickedness. So this verse is saying wisdom is too high for a fool because he has chosen a low or a base 
lifestyle. So the Bible says here, wisdom is too high for a fool. So you've got wisdom way up here. You've got the fool who is living perverse and living a base. Wisdom's too high for them. They can't get to it because of the life that they're living. The Bible says in Psalm 10, in verse 4 through 7, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Sounds like a fool to me. God is not in all his thoughts. Then it says, His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He, said, he hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. So verse 7 says, wisdom is, is too high for a fool. Then he goes on to say, he openeth not his mouth in the gate. So we're speaking about what does a wise person do? Well, we're looking at the fool and what they do. The Bible says that a fool, uh, he openeth not his mouth in the gate. So let's, let's look back and think about Old Testament. We think about the city and how many of the cities were, pro were protected by gates. So back in Bible times, the cities were protected by gates. And around these gates, the, the leaders of the city, the magistrates and the leaders from the different principalities, they would gather around these gates. And so that would be a place where they would actually speak. And we're told about Lot. And one of the tragic things about Lot was he was actually welcomed at the gate of Sodom. And he spoke at Sodom there and everything. That's not a real good indictment about Sodom. It's kind of like somebody being elected to city council, maybe of San Francisco, California. If you are elected to city council of San Francisco, California, probably you are not living for God. Probably you are not a Christian. Maybe somebody could sneak in and do that, but it's speaking about a fool. It does not speak at the gates. It's not speak. You know why they don't speak at the gate? Because no one wants to listen to them. No one wants to listen to a fool. No, and here's what Abraham Lincoln said one time. He said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. You know, sometimes better, hey, just hold your peace. Just keep quiet. But our desire should be when I speak, I want wisdom to flow from my words. I want people to listen. You know, have you ever been around somebody, maybe a group of young people, and maybe there's one in the crowd, and every time they say something, they get shot down real quick, like, oh, that's dumb, that's dumb. You know, I don't want that to be in my life. I want it to be where when I speak, people will listen. Meaning, I want to be looked at as, hey, there's a wise person. May we seek wisdom, not for pride's sake, but just to think, may, may my words have salt where they will encourage somebody or they will give wisdom to somebody else. So we see what a wise person does. They seek counsel. Then lastly, in closing, what do we see? We see the wise man's assessment. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Now we see how a wise man thinks. Verse number eight, it says, he that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Then it says, The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination. You know, in working with young people, there's a, there's a line between having fun and being foolish. There's a, there's a little line there. You know, a wise person will know how to make that assessment. 
You know, a wise person is always making an assessment. They're trying to figure out the situation and figure out what's going and try to get to the bottom of something. And they're thinking through it. You know, you're trying to gauge the situation. Maybe you, you find yourself in a situation and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm saved, I'm born again, should I be in this situation? Or maybe you're, you're, you're around some people and you think, should I really be around these people or should I withdraw myself? How does the wise person make assessments? Well, I would say first he parts from mischief. The Bible says, wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. Then it says, he that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. That sounds like an area where we shouldn't be around. You know, you think about maybe a, a group of guys getting together, and maybe there's one kind of heading up to get together, and they all get on the text message or on the phone, and they say, hey, well, let's meet at my house at 6 o'clock. We're going to watch a football game, or we're going to watch a basketball game. And maybe in one of those guys' minds, they've got in the back of their mind, hey, we're going to do this, but maybe afterward, we're going to do this. Maybe we shouldn't, but we're going to go ahead and do it. You know, and then maybe you as a young person, you go over to that house and you're thinking, oh, okay, this seems like a good time. And then all of a sudden the game's over and it starts going south. You should have the assessment going on in your mind thinking, okay, if this goes south, I'm out of here. A wise person will be assessing it, be thinking about it and think, okay, if this goes south, I'm out of here. The, the, the Bible says in verse 8, he that deviseth to do evil. A fool's going to devise to do evil, to do wrong. He's thinking about it. He's planning it. He keeps thinking about it. The Bible says in Romans 16 and verse number 7, and we're almost done, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. I would say to every young person in here tonight, I would look out, I would assess. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. I would look out for those that are trying to cause division. I would look out for those that uh, would, would put offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. When you go off to, to for Tech or you go off to a secular college and all of a sudden something sprouts up about somebody teaching some philosophy that against, against the word of God, I would in your mind say, whoop, that's not Bible. Well, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to think that. I'm going to, go, I'm going to avoid them. Uh, you know, I might have to get through this class just to get a grade, but I'm going to mark them in my mind. I'm going to avoid them. We need to do that as young people. We need to do that as young adults, as middle-aged adults, older adults. May we, may, may we look out for those that are going contrary to the doctrine which we have learned and avoid them, the Bible says. So a wise man is going to be wise in his thoughts. He's going to assess certain things. May we be that way. Yes, you know, God might forgive you and if you mess up and you get involved in something you shouldn't, but this is a lesson on wisdom, on how are we going to avoid messing up so we don't have to go to God and say, Lord, would you give me grace? Would you forgive me? It's about staying away so we don't have to go down that road. So number one, we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, watch our assessment. We're going to watch our thought life. We're going to be constantly surveying situations on how can we assess the situation and do right. Then lastly, we need to protect our mind. We need to protect our mind. And so much can be said about that tonight. But the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. It says the thought of it. You know, the major battles spiritually begin in the mind. It all starts in the mind. I read this statement. It says, sow a thought, meaning you're giving out a thought, reap an action. 
So an action, you reap a habit. So a habit, you reap a destiny. Where does it all start? It starts with just a simple thought. That thought turns into an action. That action turns into a habit. That habit turns into a destiny. You know, no young person just ventures off and says, well, I want my destiny to be, I'm going to get caught drunk driving, I'm going to end up in jail. No, per, no young person sets out and does that. But you know where it all starts? It starts with just a little thought to say, I'm going to go over here and I'm just going to try that little drink of alcohol and just kind of see what it's like. Next thing you know, they've now sowed a thought. They're reaping an action. They're reaping a habit. And all of a sudden, boom, they're in trouble. And you can apply that to anything in your life. It all starts in the mind. Your thought life is so important. The Holy Spirit wants to help us with this. We have to guard and protect our mind that we might live the wise life and get wisdom. The wise person will have an advantage the wise person will have certain actions that they do. They will seek counsel. They will, they will, will they'll make major decisions with counsel. Then they'll have certain assessment. It'll be, they'll protect their mind. They'll assess the situation. If we have wisdom, we're going to tend correctly to those seven words that we mentioned that we talked about. If you have wisdom, you're gonna, it's going to take care of those other six words. If you have wisdom, you're going to guard your walk. If you have wisdom, you're going to guard your wealth. If you have wisdom, you're going to guard your words. It all flows from wisdom. May we be a person that seeks wisdom. Let's not be like Solomon. We knew what to say. We knew how to advise others, but yet we didn't do it ourselves. We, we knew the, the prohibitions of a king, but we thought, I'm going to write to my son. I'm going to have him try to do all this, not realizing that, that that son was watching dad and saying, Dad, I know what you wrote, but I also know how you live. May we seek wisdom. One last verse, and then we'll close. James 1 and verse number 5. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, boy, I'd be, I'd be the first one to raise my hand. I lack wisdom. I need wisdom. It says, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally. What's the prerequisite? What's the, the condition on God giving it liberally? It's just us asking. Are we asking for wisdom? Do you wake up in the morning, travel down to your job in your car? Are you praying? Are you asking God for wisdom in your business dealings, in your, your, the raising of your children, or maybe you're, you're seeing your grandchildren grow up? Are you asking for wisdom, because you never know maybe that grandparent, you as a grandparent can say just those, those few little statements that can change the course of your grandchild's destiny. You never know. Then it says, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. I want God to give me wisdom. I hope that's your desire tonight, to have wisdom that comes from God. May we seek it, may we live for it, and the Lord will bless us if we'll just ask for it. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I know it was not a bond.